0: In Deep Work by Cal Newport, he talks about the rules for focused success in a distracted world. And boy, do we need this more than ever with all of us working from home and everything that's going on in the world, but not even the more immediate distractions that exist in the world today, just the internet in general, this sense of business that we all have all the time, the sense of always being connected, always feeling obliged to answer text messages and emails and Slack messages and Google chats whatever it is that you use in your job all of us feel that that sense that we were all the time having to to answer these questions and to uh, be alert and 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 be available all the time and in this book deep work I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about reading this book I wasn't sure if there was going to be much of a message because I get it you know deep work is important and uh, I was surprised pleasantly by by what I found in the book because deep work is ultimately about finding that sense of flow, right? That sense of allowing yourself to become so involved with a problem or so involved with something that you're creating that time just takes on a different type of meaning and you're in that flow state. You're solving problems. You are, uh, like I said, creating something or uh, whether that, that creation could be writing a book. It could be writing a technical article, whatever the thing is, right? he talks about deep work in this book as being more important than uh, being connected and what he does is he puts forward reasons as to why deep work is important and then he gives four rules for how to actually achieve this deep work now some of those rules are uh they're probably quite obvious so i'll, I'll talk about them in a few minutes but uh, they're worth hearing out loud, really, because when you when you take this idea of this deep, focused work and apply it to your your professional life, you start to see how distracted you really are. And if you keep in mind that w- what we want to do with cause is to make sure that you are becoming the leader that you're that you have the potential to be, that's ultimately what we're trying to do is to give you those tools to become that leader. And if you're going to become a great leader or remain a great leader if you already are a great leader you have to think about how you're spending your time. You have to think about are you just spending your time going from pillar to post answering email after email because your inbox keeps going ping the whole time. You have to make sure that you're controlling your own time and giving yourself time to work deeply. One of the things he talks about in this book is uh, the think weeks that bill gates uh, I think he, he said that he used to take as far as i know he still takes them saw a documentary on him on, uh, on netflix inside bill's brain or something it was called but bill gates he would take a, a bag full of books and he'd go off up into some remote location i'm sure it was very fancy and he'd read these books and he, this is back when when he was a ceo of microsoft and he would think deeply about what are the biggest problems facing uh, his company so he wouldn't have anything to do with meetings anything to do with anything he just would spend time thinking deeply and it was in those kind of moments where he came up with the he came to the realization i think around 1995 or i can't remember exactly when it was that the internet was going to be huge and they needed to pivot towards that to make sure that they were going to take advantage of that and uh, so that's one of the examples he gives of of what deep work actually is but sometimes and this is an interesting one that he that he says in in the uh, in the book is that busyness is a proxy for productivity. That people want to prove they're earning their keep in their job, in their team, whatever it is. So they they do lots of things in a very visible manner. So if I'm seen to be busy, then it must mean I'm very very important. And it's it's hard to argue against that because. You know, if, if somebody says, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm just, I'm thinking deeply about a problem goal. well, You get to work. The the attitude seems to be in most companies is that you, you should aim for that. You should aim for that busyness because that means you're being productive. That means you're achieving lots of things. But then there's companies like IBM, and I think Google do it as well, where they give 20% of employees time over to working on whatever they want to work on. And in one company they talk about in the book, or Cal Newport talks about in the book, is um, a company that used to be called 37 Signals. They're now called Basecamp, I think they're a billion dollar company. But they give the whole month of June over to their employees just to work on whatever. The founder made the point that if somebody's going to have five days uh, to work on something, then other companies will give like every Friday or whatever over to a company over to the employees to work on their whatever thing skunk works that they ever they wanted to work on this ceo of uh, 37 signals or base campus are now known he said well why would you do, why would you do that why would you spread it over five weeks every friday why not just give them like five days in a row to really get deeply into something and then he expanded that to a full month he said that people should um they should get really deeply into this idea of uh that focus state that 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 deep work state so one of the things so that the, the the book is basically broken into two parts part one is the idea of what deep work actually is and part two then is the rules for actually uh, achieving it so first of all the idea he says the first and foremost deep work is valuable so he says that because and this is something that I I've, I've listened to a lot and I've kind of read a lot about The idea of automation is taking away so many jobs these days that it's it's going to continue to grow and uh, it'll probably grow exponentially that a lot of jobs are going to disappear. Not all jobs, obviously. Not everything can go. There'll be new jobs will be created. New types of jobs will be created. But even things like uh, uh, writing code, which is what we all push our kids to do these days, that's that's where their career is in, in writing code. It's very possible that in a few years' time, uh, code will be automated, that it'll be a drag and drop kind of situation, and writing code won't actually be of, of that much value, but it's kind of besides the point. What Cal Newport says in this book is that if you want to become a winner in this new economy where uh, things are changing so rapidly and things are becoming automated before our very eyes, he said there's two things you need to be able to do. One is the ability to quickly master new things. Whether that's a new skill set, whether that is a new piece of technology, whether it is um, crunching data, right? Whatever the thing is, you need to be able to master new things quickly. You need to be able to, to learn quickly. And the second thing then is once you've mastered these new things, you need the ability to produce at an elite level, both quality and speed, right? So you need to be quick. You need to be really good. These two things lend themselves to deep work. You're not going to be able to master new things quickly if you're going from pillar to post. If you're answering 60 emails a day and just going from meeting to meeting to meeting, when does the actual learning happen? Learning doesn't happen through, uh, you know, these... Well, one of the things you talked about, kind of, I'm getting slightly off point here, but kind of, I'll come back around to the point I'm making. One of the things you talked about is Facebook, and they built this massive big complex in in, uh, in the valley in, in, in uh, San Francisco, or... or I think that's where it is whatever it is uh, that they wanted this collaboration to happen so this massive big open plan office where they want collaboration to happen and this serendipitous this um these lucky coincidences these kind of conversations that people have while they're getting coffee that lead to um you know solutions to to problems before they've even become problems that kind of thing which is a noble thing to to aim for this idea of collaboration of innovation of allowing these organic conversations to happen and it's one of the big problems at the moment with the with the pandemic with everyone working from home everyone being isolated that it's a lot harder to get that done right But in the book he talks about how this is a crazy idea to have people all the time ready for collaboration all the time ready for um, happenstance conversations. Because his point is, well, when does the deep work happen? When do you actually, you know, find quiet time to actually get deep into something? And I completely see his point. He talks about how Facebook have this massive open plan office, and innovation will probably happen, but it's it becomes kind of like a busyness. It becomes like a um, a, a way of doing things that's kind of putting out fires, I suppose, rather than gomel um, you know, where are we headed as 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 a department, as an organization, or even as an individual, what is it exactly that I want to do? So getting back to my point about being having the ability to quickly master new things, you're not going to be able to master new skill sets if you're all the time being interrupted, if you're all the time being given over to those those serendipitous conversations. You have to be able to master new things and the only way you're going to master new things is through one of the things i say a lot deliberate practice deliberately practicing these things but also going deep into things giving yourself that quiet time to actually not answer emails to not have to go to meetings give yourself time to actually think deeply about these problems that you're trying to uh, trying to solve or these things that you're trying to learn and it's only once you've mastered these new things it's only then you'll be able to produce things at an elite level both quality and speed so he talks a good bit about deliberate practice who um there's a guy called uh anders ericsson was the guy who came up with this idea of 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 learning and of how it actually should all how learning really occurs and it's 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 had such an impact on me that i've I've built it into uh, use because into the action log and that is deliberate practice everything that i talk about in every podcast that i do you're going to forget it unless you go and deliberately practice it, and record your feedback and iterate towards success. Anyway, deliberate practice is mentioned for the first time on page 34 of Deep Work by Cal Newport, so uh, underline that for yourself. Deliberate practice and the way he describes it, and I would, I I think I've probably described it in fairly similar ways before. Is two steps to deliberate practice, and this all comes from 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 deep work as well. The first thing when it comes to deliberate practice is to understand that it's tight, focused attention on a specific skill or an idea. There's a great quote from Albert Einstein who said that he wasn't any more intelligent than anyone else. He just would stick with a problem for longer. So think about that. That's what deliberate practice is, that's what deep work is. He would allow himself to go deeper with these problems. And he changed how we think about physics. I'm not saying everyone should strive to become the next Einstein. But that's how he became Einstein. That's how he became the guy we still, when I say Einstein, everyone knows who he is. The reason we still talk about him all these years later is because he was uh, he allowed himself naturally to get into that deep that deep state of, uh, of focus and of concentration. Another one who just comes to mind, I've talked about him before, Leonardo da Vinci, allowed himself those moments of deep focus when he was painting the the last supper in a, what's the name of that church santa maria church i think somewhere um north italy there was written there was written accounts of of how he would go about uh, creating this masterpiece on on the wall the last supper there were days where he'd come in and sit and stare at the painting all day, and maybe do absolutely nothing other than just stare at it. There'd be other days where he would come in and furiously paint, and leave. And then there was other days we'd come in, sit and stare for hours at a time, and maybe do one tiny little stroke of paint somewhere and leave. That's what that deep focus does. He like he, he if you were to ask him what he was doing, he'd probably give him a heart attack because he's so in his own head. He's so deeply focused on the work. And that's what deliberate practice will do for you. Deliberate practice allows you to get into that, that state of of deep work, of that deep focus. So that's the first thing for deliberate practice. Tight focus attention on a specific skill or idea. The second thing is to get feedback, to correct your approach and redirect your attention. And that's, again, there's a, a book by uh, Conor McGregor's coach, John Kavanagh. He says, that uh, the name of the book is Win or Learn, right? There's no such thing as failure. You, either, you don't lose, you learn, right? Which is perfect. That's, that's exactly how you should approach exams. It's exactly how you should approach meetings that go sideways, uh, sales conversations that don't work out for you. Whatever that you would not necessarily consider to be a failure, consider it feedback instead. They talk about that in NLP and neuro-linguistic programming as well, that there's no such thing as uh, failure-only feedback. So when you go out and deliberately practice these things, you need that feedback so that you can refocus your attention. One other thing he talks about in this first section of the book about deep work being valuable is attention residue. This is a pet hate of mine. Um, Multitasking doesn't exist, right? Multitasking does not exist. All you're doing is going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. You might be switching quite quickly, but you're not really multitasking you're just going from one task to the next task back to the first task that you're still just doing one thing at a time right mathematically i suppose but he talks about attention residue and of course in in all of these books that i read and i generally don't talk about it that much but there's always experiments in the background that they talk about in the book that back up what they're saying and there's, there's backup for this one as well attention residue is the idea that uh, if you go from, let's say you have a meeting in the morning from 9am till 10am and you have another meeting from 10am till 11, up until about 20 past 10 in the second meeting, your your mind is still on the first meeting. So you have to keep that in mind that there is a disattention residue. You can't just go from one meeting to the next to the next. You're just going from pillar to post and you're just doing that whole busyness thing where you're not really, you're not really I wouldn't say not getting anything done, but it's not, it's shallow work. It's not deep work that you're getting done generally. Now, I don't want anyone emailing and saying, I totally disagree with you. All I'm doing is talking about what's in the book. And what I understand to be uh, deep work and shallow work that I don't think you can go from, uh, from meeting to meeting, to meeting without having time to reflect. Some of the, there's is a Jack Dorsey, maybe uh, of Twitter and square gives himself like 30 minutes between each meeting to actually reflect and take notes and think about what was just said especially if there's a if there's action items on coming from that meeting like next steps which there in, in any good meeting there probably should be yeah you have to give yourself time to 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 like like a palate cleanser of of 15 or 20 minutes before you jump into the next meeting so what he says in this first section that deep work is valuable his his ultimate point is that the whole world is, is, is involved with busyness. The ho- everyone in work is trying to be as productive as possible without really allowing themselves the time or the space for deep work. And deep work, if you allow yourself to do it, will allow you to master new things quickly and produce at a higher speed and quality. It's the, the Navy seal saying of slow, smooth and smooth as fast. That's what you need to keep in mind that you have to allow yourself time, especially if you're a leader in an organization, you have to allow yourself time to see the wood for the trees. You have to allow yourself time to, to reflect and it's not woo woo wishy washy stuff. It's part of your strategy. It has to be to allow yourself to do deep work, to go deep on a problem and figure out a solution. Not just going from meeting to meeting, email to email. Trying to trying to use busyness as a, as a proxy for productivity, as they say in the book. You have to make sure that you are uh, doing real good work. So, the second thing he says then is so that deep work is rare. And I guess I've, I've, I've overlapped with that there um, from the first part. Deep work is rare. People aren't doing it. People are trying to show that they're they're productive all the time Uh, and another issue with with it being so rare one of the reasons it's so rare it's this idea of the principle of least resistance if you don't have feedback on the impact of your various behaviors to the bottom line of the company you'll just do what's easy so for example he tells a story in the book about uh, Tom Cochran who is a uh, the CEO of a, of a media company called Atlantic media and he was shocked one day about how much time he spent answering emails so he started to think if that's I, if I'm in charge and I'm answering these this many emails many other people are answering all these emails as well and essentially he he crunched some numbers he figured out you know typing speed and um, you know a of different he put lots of different variables into this equation and he came out with a number of of a million dollars. That's what his employees were costing the company every year, sending emails that probably didn't need to be sent. He said it's the equivalent of, of paying for a Learjet for the company. That's the kind of shallow work that was costing the company money. And this is the point about this this principle of least resistance. If you didn't if you didn't know that, if you didn't know that you that you sending all these emails, this, this shallow busyness, if you didn't know that that you're that the company was being was, was was losing in in opportunity cost, let's say a million dollars a year, because of all the emails to send. You'll just do the thing that's easiest, that's, and I'm no different, right? I haven't read this book. I've started to think about how I approach my day's work. I log on in the morning and I generally answer emails for the first hour, and I'm thinking, do I need to be doing that? Maybe I should leave emails till after lunch or something. I don't know, but you 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 answer the emails because. It's the path of least resistance. Like I can answer a few emails. That's that's easy. And it looks like I'm doing things because people are receiving my emails, right? It looks like I'm being productive. So if you knew that that was costing your company millions and millions of dollars a year, you you might change how you actually approach your day's work, right? So with no feedback on the impact of your various behaviors, people will just do the thing that's easiest. It's the the path of least resist, of least resistance. So. One other thing he talks about, again, in uh, deep work being rare, is that we all just assume the internet is a good thing, that it makes us more productive. And in some jobs it does. But the internet is ubiquitous, right? It's everywhere. It's, it's As soon as you open your eyes in the morning, there's a good chance you're checking your favorite social media sites to see what's up, right? See what's on the news, right? All that. But the internet being ubiquitous means that any alternative is invisible and therefore not relevant. So being on the internet is not good for deep work. Let me explain what what I mean and what the author means by that. Any alternative is invisible and therefore irrelevant. Right? If something is invisible, then you just don't know it exists. And uh, so you don't know anything about it. So it's irrelevant. What that really means is that you just assume being on the internet, being online, is good for business is good for your career it's good for um your productivity because you're you're the the alternatives are invisible the internet's everywhere like i said all especially working from home these days if you if you don't have an internet connection you're dead right you're just you're you're dead in the water everything is happening online these days but because of that the alternative is invisible And the alternative being deep work the alternative being pen and paper or staring out a window or going for a walk all of these things they seem like they're not adding to your productivity because people don't see you sending emails don't see you in meetings but if you are truly honest with yourself and allow yourself to uh, to work on problems while walking while emptying the dishwasher uh, you know, walking the dog, whatever the thing is that you're doing, that counts as work, as long as there's something at the end of that. As long as you're not just taking the piss and and uh, telling yourself you're being productive. If you're if you're really thinking deeply about a problem, you don't need to be sending emails. One of the things I—it's worth pausing here. I'm, I'm I'm just thinking as I say all this stuff that. Uh, I I always read these books right every every week or two weeks whatever it is that I do do a podcast every time I read one of these books, my approach I have a feeling I said this in another episode somewhere but my approach is always to read one of these books as if it's gospel as if it's the uh, undeniable truth in these books and then what I do is I let it kind of marinate around in my head I suppose or kind of I I think about it for. Uh, a week or two and think well do i actually really agree with that do is that something that i want to hold on to is it something that you know it might be true for other people but it's not true for me or whatever so when i talk about these books it's worth keeping in mind that i talk about them as if they are a gospel as if they're they're 100 true and factual but that's just my approach to reading these books is it's my way of of internalizing it seeing does it sit well with me or do I, uh, do I disagree with elements of it or do I, do I want to keep some, discard others, right? That kind of thing. So that's what I'm talking about there. That th- The reason I'm saying that is because of the last point I made that the internet is ubiquitous. The alternative is invisible. The alternative might not necessarily be invisible. I might think about this again a week from now and think, you know what, I don't agree with that. The internet's not everywhere. We choose to get onto the internet or, um, you know, uh, the internet's not the problem, it's the, it's the constant connectedness that's the problem, or whatever. Right? I don't know what I'm going to think in a week from now, but I always kind of approach these things with the idea that it's 100% true, I'll see how I feel a week from now. Anyway, the next one then, right, the next part of the idea, so there's been two ideas so far, that deep work is valuable, that deep work is rare, and the third thing is that deep work is meaningful. And this one hit home with me. He talks about a guy in the book who makes. Makes uh, things out of steel and metal with um, his own hands. So he, he, when the author interviews him, this guy is making a sword, right? So he has to, I hope I'm pronouncing this word right. An ingot ingot ingot, like a lump of metal. And this lump of metal is now going to be turned into a sword and he makes the point this guy who's making the sword right um i want to say blacksmith is a black blacksmith for metal or is that just for horses <laughs> a smith smithering smith, he's smithing anyway right this guy is uh, doing some stuff with the metal and uh, making a sword and he's making it by hand and he spends 8 hours hitting this lump of metal is ingot 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 he spends 8 hours hitting it with a with a hammer and he makes the point to cal newport that he could just get a machine to do this in one fell swoop one big bash and the thing would you know be spread out or you know this big thing that would mush the metal out into the into the uh shape of the sword that he needs to make but his point is uh, well i'll tell you what the point is in a minute because what he says is that so what he does he spends eight hours like battering this thing into shape and then what he does is once he's happy that it's in the right shape he goes and he submerges it into oil right not water you'd always think they put it into water but they put it into oil and that kind of solidifies the whole thing but what can happen after hours and hours and hours of him bashing this uh, lump of metal into the right shape he wants is that when he submerges it in oil sometimes the whole thing can shatter into pieces and can you imagine After spending an entire shift and then (laughs) it's gone. It's just like you might not have you might as well not have bothered. Can you ask yourself, what's the point? And Cal Newport asked this guy, the the swordsmith, right? And that's probably a word. Swordsmith, it should be a word. Asked the swordsmith, what is the point? (laughs) Why not just get the machine to do it? And he said, because that's what he wants to do. To him, every single tap of the hammer onto this lump of metal is calculated and thought about and he finds himself in this flow state by the end of this eight hours or or during this eight hours that is like intoxicating and yeah the sword might break at the end of it but it is intoxicating right because that's this is the bit that really hit me because that's what life is about what he says in the book he gives a quote um from a woman called winifred gallagher who, um, she says that life is about nothing more than skillful management of attention. Life is about nothing more than the skillful management of your attention. Where are you going to put your attention? Is your life purely just about Excel sheets and PowerPoint presentations and emails, or is there something more to it? This guy making the sword could just make a sword. <coughs> he could probably buy them from China and uh, sell them on as his own. But this is how he chooses to direct his attention. So deep work is meaningful getting into that flow state. If you've ever found yourself in that flow state, whether it's playing with Lego or making a jigsaw or, um, <laughs> one of the things that, that, always gets me is you know when you're working on a really complicated Excel sheet and there's formulae everywhere and there's sheets linked to other sheets and it's just a masterpiece that flow state is undeniable. Or even being in the pub with your friends or having a nice meal with the with loved ones, it that still all counts as flow state. That's us that's us thinking about our our attention and where we're putting it life is about nothing more than the skillful management of your attention. So where are you going to put your attention? Because deep work is meaningful. Finding yourself in that flow state is meaningful. Finding yourself solving problems, either individually or as a team, is meaningful. His whole point as well, at the end of this particular section in the book, he talks about that and it's it sounds naive like we should all just be given time off to go for walks in the forest and all that kind of stuff. That's not the point. He understands in this book that being able to give that that sense of um deep work to everybody is it's not possible. It's just not the way the world is set up. You'd have to restart everything. It's too difficult for companies to give that to you. But as individuals, we have to seek it out. And really this is I was not expecting to to get this message i've i've understood this message before and i've talked about it before um one of the books that led to use because is a book called mastery by robert green uh, it's about your life's task uh, it's about lots of things but it's about becoming a master of something and um, one of the things he talks about is, is about your life's task and how you actually discover what it is you're supposed to do. what is your unique skill set and experiences and beliefs and values what does it all add up into and I think that ties in beautifully with what he says in this book about deep work, that deep work is meaningful. What's the point in, in not doing deep work? What's the point in being busy all the time? And as far as I'm concerned, there's no such thing as busy. Busy is an excuse. Busy is an excuse to, to, um, to allow yourself to go from pillar to post and just be kind of you know frazzled all day long. Busy doesn't exist because there's 24 hours in a day and a list of priorities. Some people, like Elon Musk, can build up SpaceX, uh, Tesla, SolarCity, the boring company, all huge companies. Obviously, he's got momentum and teams behind him, but he's still able to run all those companies in 24 hours in a day with a list of just priorities, ruthless prioritization. Business doesn't exist. I'm getting off the point. Deep work is meaningful. The rules then for finding deep work is that uh, well there's four rules and now the, the, this is what I said at the very beginning that the, these rules are um they're somewhat obvious but they are worth saying out loud I think these are, these are what will be in the action log for deep work the rules the first rule is to work deeply now, it sounds sounds a bit ridiculous. The book is called Deep Work, and how do you do it? Well, you should work deeply, right? But that's how do you actually go about doing it, right? How do you actually go about uh, working deeply? What he says is that there are different approaches, and what you need to do is to find your own approach to it. He talks about people who are um, uh, professors in colleges who they are able to um, write, you know, seven articles in a year for you know um, peer-reviewed magazines and and journals and that kind of stuff that the the professors do and you talk about how some of them go about doing what they do some of them use the monastic approach so they remove all distractions they don't answer emails they don't answer phone calls not going to any meetings for the next week or the next three months or whatever the amount of time is and they just allow themselves into that flow state whereas for some people it could be the bimodal approach where you have long periods of defined time where I will not be interrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's authors, fiction authors. I can't remember who it is now, but there was. I remember reading about one guy who writes from like eight until ten every morning, has his breakfast, then writes from like eleven till one and so on, and is absolutely regimented in how he goes about doing it. And this is something that you've you've heard before about. You know, have time for. Uh, time for email and time for uh, google chat and have time for slack and you you need to be (laughs) it's always interesting that your your manager your boss will always say you know you run your day whatever way you like as long as my emails are answered straight away right so it's you know it's a balancing act to find your way doing these things so anyway that's that's two approaches the monastic approach like a like a monk um, make sure that you have zero distractions for long, long periods of time. May or may not be possible for you. The bimodal approach is long periods of, of defined time where you will not be distracted. Then allow yourself distractions, whether it's emails and chats and so on. The rhythmic approach is shorter bursts where you might have 60 or 90 minutes at a time where you'll, you'll do deep dives into things, into problems, into uh, creating work that you need to create and so on. Journalistic is the unexpected free time, just to dive in. I always think about um, the amount of time that we waste scrolling through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram or looking at Netflix or there there is time everywhere if you look for it. There is time everywhere for you to use to to think deeply about uh, things you want to do. One of the best thing, best and worst things is um, uh, I don't know whatever phone you're on these days. I'm on a Galaxy Samsung Galaxy S10, I think S10 Note or something. I don't know the big one, but it has this thing called Digital Wellbeing. It tells you how long you've been online. That is a hard number to look at sometimes. I am no better than anybody else when it comes to this stuff, scrolling through nonsense on social media, and you haven't even realised that you're doing it. The the digital wellbeing is a, is a real it's a really eye-opening number to look at. You can spend hours a day without even realizing it. Um, Other things he talks about then when it comes to to working deeply is is to have rituals, but ignore inspiration. When you think about, you know, successful business people or artists or athletes or, you know, great minds like Einstein or whoever, uh, there, uh, there can be, a misunderstanding that they somehow got inspired, and then puff out came the, the genius idea or the amazing piece of art. They had to grind through it, like I like everybody else. Like I like the Einstein quote I said earlier on, he just would stick with a problem for longer. Whereas some people would just give up, he would just stick it out until he came up with something, and he would do that over years and years and years. And you can imagine there's a great book by Walter Isaacson on Einstein, uh, the amount of failures he had, the amount of things that didn't work out for him. Um, ignore inspiration, have rituals. There's a great quote as well in the book that great creative minds think like artists but work like accountants. Don't wait for inspiration to fall into your lap for this kind of deep work. Have an approach, right? Have rituals. Have rituals. Other things he says then, the four disciplines of execution when it comes to working deeply. First of all, you should focus on the wildly important, what I would call ruthless prioritization. There's no such thing as busy. There's 24 hours in a day and your list of priorities. So the four disciplines of execution. The first one, focus on the wildly important. What is the the next thing that's going to derail this project and do that? The next thing he says then is to act on lead measures not lag measure so a lag measure the example he gives in the book is that you want to improve the customer satisfaction in your bakery well you could look at the uh the trip advisor scores but it's too late whether those scores are up or down you don't actually know whether that is uh you don't know quick enough in the moment that's like a that might be a week after the person was in your bakery that they 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 left a review You want to focus you want to act on lead measures so lead a lead measure the example he gives in the bakery is to make sure you give out twice as many free samples today as you did yesterday that's that's a good metric to keep in mind that that will most likely and then you can check that the week later and see did did that add to your your overall customer satisfaction score number three then he says is to uh, keep a compelling scoreboard we all know what happens when we're we're, you know playing a game with, with somebody and then money is involved or a scoreboard um, shows up. People play very, very differently when there's a compelling scoreboard. And he also talks then about creating a cadence of accountability. That's number four. And he quotes a, a story from uh, Jerry Seinfeld, the, uh, the comedian. Famous story it was written up by a, an up and coming comic who used it, you know, as a, I can't remember the exact name of it, but I'll, I'll tell you the story. Um, Behind it, the idea of this cadence of accountability. This young comic asked Jerry Seinfeld, "How do you become a, you know, a successful comedian?" And Jerry Seinfeld said, "The way you become a successful comedian is to write better jokes. The way you write better jokes is to is to write every day." And Jerry Seinfeld told him that he had a calendar in his kitchen, and every day that he wrote jokes, he'd put a red X on the calendar. And after a couple of weeks of this, you start to see a chain. And what happens is you don't want to break that chain for anything. And that's it, you, you write jokes every day, you grind it out. You have that cadence of accountability and Jerry Seinfeld's accountability was to himself and to the calendar. He did not want to miss a day. So he'd, day he would just force himself to grind through it. And that actually moves us on to the second rule. So the first rule is to work deeply. Rule two is to embrace boredom. Don't take breaks from distraction. Take breaks from focus. This is what his point is: that uh, you don't want to, you don't want to allow yourself to be distracted. Right? Let Let me go back a step. Actually, you know when you're in uh, in the pub, and uh, you and one other person, you're having a pint. They go to the bathroom. What's the first thing you do? You take out your phone because you cannot stand the boredom. You cannot stand. Uh, even a split second of not being entertained of not being um uh, stimulated in some way and that will that approach to life you know that idea that how you do one thing is how you do everything i think that is true for for uh for all of us unfortunately uh, or fortunately you have to try and not take out your phone if you're standing in line at starbucks do not take out your phone i double dare you to sit into that boredom, to allow yourself, to allow your mind to actually think, to allow your mind to actually wander. And it's it's rule number two for working deeply, embrace boredom. And that's what Einstein would have had to have done, is to not just give up because something got boring or something got hard, is to just drive down, drill down into it and stay with the problem. Embrace that boredom so when he says don't take breaks from distraction, take breaks from focus, he says that your default really should be in this state of focus and allow yourself out of it then for distraction. So don't take breaks. So the, the flip side of that is that we're all the time in this state of distraction. It's, you know, flipping through and. Um, your Twitter, to your to reading your favorite news channel, to reading uh, random articles online, we're in distraction. and we take a break from that distraction to try and get into the focus mode. You need to flip it around to to make sure you're in that focus mode as much as possible. Don't take out your phone when you're in the pub. Rule number three, really straightforward: quit social media. Uh, believe me, easier said than done. I've done it before. And I've somehow ended up back on it. And I think I will be doing it again. Quit social media. What are you getting from it? Like who? It's so mad. Social media is so crazy that, you know, it's, it's perfectly tuned to keep us there. There was a great quote from, um, I think the CEO of Netflix, Reed, Reed Hastings. Is that his name? He said, our only competitor is, uh, is sleep. That's what he said same with social media those social media sites their only competitor obviously they've got are all competi- competing with each other but ultimately they know how to tune these these uh, these algorithms to keep us to keep our eyeballs on the screen quit social media and allow yourself a detox for you know even a day a week to begin with it's what we actually do in, in my family here with my kids Saturday is no screen Saturday first couple of saturdays there was resistance these days every single time when we're putting them to bed they say this was the best day ever because we do mad stuff like <laughs> dude i shouldn't even say it's mad stuff we do jigsaws and you know build, do jenga and all that kind of stuff and we go out and we uh, play in the back garden and just just none of us have screens none of us look at any screens on a saturday so and it's amazing uh, how that feels I and mean, we're we're slow they don't realize it the children but they are about to be squeezed even more uh, during the week as well for screen times because whether they know it or not they really do enjoy it and um, not having screens the whole time the last rule then rule four is to drain the shallows and what he talks about in this section draining the shallows is to make sure that you are uh, getting rid of as much of the shallow work as possible Again, doesn't compute to everybody's life. Not everyone is going to be able to do that. But as much as possible, drain the shallows. And I guess the first thing is to be aware that there is a such thing as shallow work and deep work. Some of the shallow work has to be done, but can you, can you herd that, that shallow work into sections of time? Whether it's a, a burst of emails first thing in the, in the morning, last thing in the evening. Get rid of that, that, that shallow work as much as you can focus on deep work. So if you're the leader of a, of a team, you have to, I'm not saying you should give over, you know, even 20% of your time, but some amount of your time has to be given over to what are the biggest problems that's facing my my team at the moment. Otherwise, you're just putting out fires the whole time you're being reactive rather than proactive. So that's it. They are the four rules of uh, deep work. Work deeply, embrace boredom, quit social media, drain the shallows the idea of why you might want to do deep work is that deep work is valuable it's rare which means it's um, going to get you're going to get paid more if you do it it'll lead to more um, more problem solving skills and deep work is meaningful it's what we're here to do as far as i can figure out so try it so until next time tell two people you know about usebecause.com. have a look on the website and uh, get signed up to our newsletter use because.com forward slash subscribe there is um, some subscriber only content on the way so until next time thanks very much for listening